are again, Danny. <laughs> Here we are again. Welcome. The book of James, the book of James. I think it's one of the least read books in the New Testament, along with Jude, probably. It wasn't highly valued, but James is an important book for me. It's an important book for you. Since April, I knew that we would be doing James, and I've been reading James, I've been sleeping James, I've been dreaming James, but have I been living James? So the question I asked myself this week was, what does it mean to be a doer of the word? And I wrote that in my daily journal, and it was blank. I remembered that James knew the scriptures. If you look at the book of James, there's really not any original thinking in there. He has all of the Old Testaments kind of summed up in little statements. He's influenced by the scriptures, which I love, which I've studied, and which I have known. And he also had the teachings of Jesus. Nothing really original there. Actually, and um, a point that he makes is he, he, he names people of the Old Testament. This is why we know that he's relying a lot on the Old Testament scriptures. So he mentions Hagar, for example. Yeah. He mentions Abraham. He mentions Elijah. And Rahab. he mentions Job. So he's actually naming and he's pointing always to the Old Testament, pointing ultimately to Jesus via the Old Testament scriptures, which I'll talk about in a second. Yeah, sure. So the book of James. Now... I just said I studied the scriptures, I knew the scriptures, I've uh, taught scriptures. But you know, doesn't mean to say I was always a doer of the word. And I was thinking about Jesus when he talked to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. It says, they know the scriptures. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. What do you make of that? Well, that's a question around faith and works. And if you remember three weeks ago, I talked about a man called Martin Luther, and he was not overly keen on the book of James. And that's not a surprise, considering our church history with this particular book. But he called it the epistle of straw. And you highlighted that it doesn't even class as an epistle. James is not a very good writer in that sense. He's not following Fail. the pro forma. So epistle of straw, and, and Martin Luther, for example, and lots of others wrestled with this relationship between faith and works. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to be saved by faith? And perhaps over the course of church history, there's been lots of moments where uh, the Christian story, the Christian faith, has relied a lot on what I do. So if I do certain things then salvation will be made available to me. And so uh, all throughout history, different people have put their hand up and say, is that really true? Martin Luther probably being the most historic, if you like. Um, and so what happens is that there's a continual tension between this idea of having faith and what does it mean to live that faith out. And James is always alluding to this in, in some way or another. And um, it occurred to me just as we were in, in worship tonight, and I just want to lean on uh, the story of Sandy's been working with us in Sunday morning services on Genesis, and the story doesn't stop with Genesis, it continues on, and God establishes a community 
of uh, followers of Yahweh, and he teaches them through law and through love and through guidance to live a certain way. And it just so happens that close to God's heart is this idea of justice. And it's not only a community of safe people that have it all worked out. Actually, the Old Testament Israeli story is actually very much about brokenness and how do we look out for those that can't look after themselves. It's about mercy. It's about justice. It's about how do we put systems in place so that we can look out for these people. And the homeless, what about the alien? Uh, Old Testament word is alien, uh, as in the foreigner. And so we get to Micah, who's one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and he sums up what this is all about. And he simply says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And then he asks a question. And what does the Lord require of you? What does he require of you, Sandy? What does he require of me? What does he require? God wanted me to answer. (laughs) Yeah. And he he says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that essentially comes to life, if you like, through the life of Jesus. And Jesus comes along, and we read in Matthew chapter 5, I've come not to get rid of all of these prophets and the law, I've actually come to fulfill it. And so Jesus is now saying, this is what it looks like to live by faith, but also to do work. Through the Old Testament, he sums it up, he sums the law, and James is leaning on this, I think. So doing work doesn't lead me to Jesus, but Jesus in me leads me to good works. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it goes back to one of the little sayings that we have used a lot in the mornings. Good God created a good world so that good people could do good works. Good works. But we've got to have that relationship. And um, James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely, so this is James speaking, don't just listen to the word, and I'm going to ask you about that in a second. What do we mean by word? And so deceive ourselves. Don't just listen to the word. What does he say? Do what it says. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, there's that word again, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What do we mean by word? What does it mean here when he says, listen to the word? Well, I had to look this up because there's two Greek words for word. Mm-hmm. And in John 1:12, it talks about the word became flesh. And that refers to Jesus. And the word used there is logos, okay? There's another word for word. But I was surprised when here in uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, we've only got our Bibles tonight, by the way. That's enough, isn't it? (laughs) That's enough. People with their Bibles, good on you. Uh, It says that in verse 18, in fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by his word of truth. Now, I'm taking that to mean two things. 
that the word of truth is Jesus, but this also is the word of truth. Handled by the Pharisees and a lot of people, it's dead. Okay, it's a little bit like me when I tick off having a reading in the morning. I read it, I tick off my little thing and then go on my way and I forget it. The truth of the word has not penetrated my heart. And the spirit of God takes this and makes it living for me. It's, it's no good out there. It's only good in here. Because then it says in verse 21 that the word is implanted in me. It's the same word, logos. So again, Jesus is implanted in me, but this word opens up and comes alive as the Spirit of God takes this written word so that Jesus, the word made flesh, lives through me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think um, what, what's happened with our coming back to church history, when it comes to activity, when it comes to what do I do with this Jesus in me, what should I do with this? Um, we've had, if you like, two extremes. And there was a uh, I suppose on one side, it's not about the gospel. All you need to do is do good works to help people. These acts of justice, have mercy, compassion, get involved, help people um, solve their problems. That's on one extreme. And on the other extreme, it's like, no, 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 they don't need that. What they need is the gospel, whatever that means. They need to hear the good news of Jesus, that he died on the cross for their sins. And so we have this spectrum and people have gone to the extremes. And actually, I think it's the, the, the CEO of World uh, Vision in the US wrote a book called The Hole in Our Gospel. In other words, he was trying to highlight that deeds are good, words are good, the word is good, but how do we bring those together? Because the extremes doesn't work. Works without deeds, sorry, deeds without faith is actually not possible. Or the other way around. If you have faith and no deeds, that's not helpful either. There has to be a point where they come together. I think that's what James was trying to say. The very first night, I said to you that James was writing uh, about what a follower of Jesus looks like. Remember that? That James was writing, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is what you will look like. That's why I asked myself the question this week in my journal, what on earth does my life look like uh, compared to the writings of James? Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a table, if you remember, and I was talking about that invitation that Jesus has around living a blessed life. And at the end of that passage that we've just read, um, James is talking about being blessed in the activity of doing good deeds. And that word blessed is the same blessed that we have in what we call the Beatitudes, where Jesus is teaching um, his followers what does it mean to be blessed in all circumstances. And we'll talk about endurance or patience later. But what does it mean to be blessed? And that's the same blessed that appears when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he actually um, says at that particular point, um, you need to do what I've just done to you. You need to accept what I've done for you, but you need to go and do it as well. So he's charging them with that responsibility. We have this table, if you like. It's not my responsibility to determine who sits at the table. That's actually Jesus' work. And he uses me 
to invite someone who might otherwise not invite in my circle to come and be involved with that. And I think James is very sharp with this. And at one point he says in chapter 4, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver, there's that word again, law, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And then he says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's pretty strong words there. In other words, it's not my task to determine who's in or who's out. My task is to go about activating the Jesus that is in me so that others might know what the good news is. It's really good, Danny. I'm just pausing because this clock hasn't moved, so we've still got 25 minutes. (laughs) Hasn't moved. I haven't got a clue how long we've been going, but it hasn't moved. Okay. Which takes me on to something else James says because it, it relates to this. He called Abraham because he lived by faith and Follow it up with works of obedience to God, a friend of God. And uh, here's, here's another thing I think, well, am I a friend of God? Yes, I am. What does friend of God mean? And then I discover in chapter 4, it talks about uh, enemies of God, an enemy of God. And I thought, am I an enemy of God? Who is the enemy of God? Who is? And it says pretty clearly here, doesn't say Satan's the enemy of God, okay? Jesus has defeated Satan. Satan lives in this world. He's cast out of the heavenly spiritual realm. But it says if I am a friend of the world, I'm an enemy of God. I found that pretty powerful. I found that incredible. And then I remembered Paul wrote about that in Romans 5, where he said that uh, once we were sinners, once we were enemies. So I used to be an enemy of God. My enemy (laughs) is actually Satan. Okay, the devil. That's my enemy. But I'm a friend of God because I have been saved by faith and hopefully am showing some evidence of that through my good works. What do you think about that? Yeah, as you were speaking, I was just reminded of um, one of my favourite passages is John uh, chapter 17, one of the Gospels. And this is a a section where Jesus is is, um, talking or sharing his teaching, final teaching, before he goes to the cross. And at one point he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all believers And at one point in John chapter 17, verse 13, he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He's talking about his followers. I have given them your word, there's the word again, and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And so at this point, you might think, great, What our task should be as Christians is to form a safe community and to hunker down and to make sure that nothing bad infiltrates our community, to try and keep it as pure as we possibly can. So does that mean I only have to do good works for you and not for anyone else? Yeah, that's essentially what we're saying. Or if you think about that table, I invite the people I like and I disregard those that I don't get along with. And so at that point, that makes sense. But actually, Jesus goes on and he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. 
but that you protect them from the evil one. So there's, the, there's, the, there's Satan again. Yeah. And so he goes on to say, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. But then he says, sanctify them, as in set them apart uh, by the truth. Your word is, is truth. truth. Yeah. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There's sanctified? some tension there. Come on, what's sanctified mean? That's a big word. Set apart. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so he's saying, I want you to be in the world. I don't want you to remove you out of the world. I want you to be in the world. And in that, I want you to be set apart. In other words, I want others to know that you are different by the way that you live in the world. Okay, I want to pick up that phrase, friendship with the world, again, because I know one of the most important verses for the young people has been, be trans don't be conformed to the world. Is that right? Be Say it again, really loud. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12, okay. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so friendship with the world makes me an enemy of God. Now, that doesn't mean to say the world as the place I live. That's a totally different world. It's used again, a little Greek word, cosmos, talking about the cosmic forces or the spiritual forces like consumerism, like the need to be the same as each other, the need to spend, the need to be alike, the need to be accepted, the need to be one with everyone else so that the things of this world detract me from the things of God. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in this world is bad. Most things are neutral. It's just that Satan takes them and uses them for bad stuff. So the invitation is to be this friend of God by not having a friendship with the cosmic forces in this world or the attractions of this world which I crave and desire and lead me into sin, which it says in chapter one, it says, don't, when you're, you're tempted, when you follow your own desires, which somehow the worldly cosmic forces keeps to say, do it this way, go this way, but they lure us, they entice us, and when it's fully conceived, we sin, and the result of sin is death. So that's the world, and uh, we, if we're friendships with the world, we can't be that friend of God. So hands up, I want to be a friend of God, and I want us to be friends of God. Is that right? Friends with each other, friends of God. What a calling. And I think at this point it's worth um, exploring or reminding ourselves again about the fact that James is not writing, so the, the, the brother of Jesus, um, around 50, 60 uh, BC, uh, sorry, AD, he's not writing just some fancy wisdom thoughts just to try and encourage the church in their pursuit Actually, the heat is on, and we know historically that the early church really had to endure a whole lot of things. And it's actually worth um, being reminded of the fact that when you're sat talking about the world, we really are invited by James to think about what it means to be patient. Mm -hmm. and, he, and, he, and he sits on that for a while, right at the very end. He wants to leave a thought with us, and that is be patient um, as you think about as you participate in the world, as you observe the things that are happening in the world, be patient. And it feels really odd. Yeah, I think it might be linked with that very first uh, verse, chapter 
four that says, uh, count it all joy when you've got trials. Remember I said last week, God didn't send the trials, okay? The trials of this world is that cosmic force of evil that is against us, wanting us to be friends with the evil one and not with God. And so when it says be patient, we go back to what Jesus said, the world will hate you. You will have trials. You will have temptations. It's an ugly, hostile, greedy world. War, it's just a horrible place at times. And sometimes we despair. Is that right? But the call is to be patient. And I think it's linked with justice. Hang in there because the day will come when Jesus triumphs over everything and evil and the cosmic stuff and all of this thing that's against us will finally be no more. Let me read it. Be patient, he says in chapter 5. Then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It's fascinating. I have, my father-in-law is a, is a potato farmer and, uh, out at Scottsdale. And actually, I can see what it means to patiently wait for the seasons, uh, for the rain to come. And actually, you know how you talk about the weather with people that you don't know what to talk about? Oh, nice day. Yeah, it's a nice day. Well, actually, when I, when, I, when I see him, when I visit, actually, I do talk to him about the weather because the weather is important. And the word patient here for James is not just a patient, it's not just passive. It's not just like a, I'm just going to sit here and wait for things to unfold. James is really describing a patience over. So that sort of covering over the circumstances that you're in. Do you have, can you invite Jesus to give you patience to stand over that situation in your life? Or more broadly speaking, as Sandy said, to actually be patient in your Christian faith and works, even though you know that the world is falling apart in lots of different ways. So the word patience, I think, is a wonderful invitation. Do you need patience today? Yeah, I do. Yeah, more than, more than relationships or more than just your situation. We almost, as a Christian community, need to know what it means to be, I'm going to use the word posture. What does it look like for us as Door of Hope to have a posture of patience, to have a posture of non-judgment, to have a posture of mercy, to have a posture of compassion, to actually be doers of the word, not just um, hearers and absorbers of the word, but to actually do. That's a wonderful challenge, I think, for all of us to be yeah. a part of. Yeah. It's not easy waiting for the Lord to come and for the end of the world. I've been a Christian for nearly 50 years. And I've read this, be patient, the Lord is near. That's a complete quote from what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near, at hand. Yeah. And one of the things that I've enjoyed in my Christian life is the discovery that and constant growth that the kingdom of God is here. Mm-hmm. Okay? The kingdom of God is here. Jesus 
is here. So for 50 years, I've heard thousands of sermons about Jesus will come at any time. If I had have listened as a young person, as an 18, don't do anything serious with your life because Jesus is coming again, because that was the message we got when I was growing up. You don't need to go a career, you don't need to do anything because Jesus is coming soon. And I've heard thousands of sermons about that. But Jesus continues to ask me to be like that farmer, to plan, to sow, to reap, to be there, and to wait. Mm. Remember last week I introduced you to that word shrewd, that we plan as if there is a tomorrow, but knowing that tomorrow is in God's hand. So that patient calling, and there's others here that have been Christians for a long time, and you're probably the same, thinking, oh, I wish Jesus would come and fix this all up, but it's getting, it seems to me it's getting worse. But the call is, be patient, but wait. Wait in hope. And wait planted in the word of God, planted in the scriptures. Let them live in you. Let them be part of your life. Read, chew, do the whole lot. Learn them and continue to just, by faith, let your good works be shown in this world that needs you and me. Yeah, and so as we finish, and as James finishes, there's this little section called the prayer of faith. And it's not a surprise then that he would use this phrase to try and remind these people that have been persecuted, uh, martyred, um, thrown out of all their contexts. And this happens, by the way, in, in still lots of places around the world. But I know that there's suffering and pain for all of us as well. And he says in verse 13 of the final chapter, chapter 5, Is anyone among you in trouble? Are you in trouble tonight? What does he say? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Are you sick tonight? Are you carrying some, some pain? What does he say? Let them call to the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And just as we finish, I think the theme as as it's unfolded for us, I think tonight, has almost been that idea of the Word. And we not only are talking about Jesus, the living Word, We're not only talking about the word that we're holding through scriptures, the written word, but actually we're also talking about the power of our words. And when we pray, we're engaging words that are living inside us. And when we share life with each other, we're using words that come from inside us. And that power of being able to share life with others is deeply profound. And I'm not suggesting that James is saying you need to confess all your sins to everybody. But what does it look like to ask for prayer? What does it look like to say, I've really struggled with this? What does it look like to have a really good friend that you can lean on and to say, this is what I've done? And to be able to bring to light those things that are deep down. What a wonderful gift it is to have the living word, to have the written word, 
and to have the word that we share with each other. And I'm wondering whether we could finish on that note. I think Sandy should pray and I'll pray as well. Both of us will pray. And let's stand together as we um, lean on the Spirit and rely on Him to tell us what to do next. For those among us who are suffering, let us pray. Our Father knows. Our Father hears. Our Father, through Jesus, told us there would be suffering. We pray for the people in Israel, Palestine, Russia, other places in the world where there's outright war. But we pray too for us who are suffering here from heavy burdens, being misunderstood, from the trials of just living and trying to live in this very awkward world. We pray. And we are grateful too that we can sing songs of praise and we've done that. And together as others lead us, musicians gifted by the Spirit of God who help us to sing and worship and praise, we say thank you. And we count it a joy in the midst of our trials that we can sing praises. And for the sick, pray, Lord, that they would seek prayer just for their healing, knowing that you are the healer, you are the God among us, and you said that the Spirit of God is alive and active and greater things will be done through your people than when Jesus was on earth. And Lord, for those of us who need to confess, For the many years, Lord, when I didn't really understand the link between words and faith and works, I'm very sorry. But thank you for truth that sets us free. And for those, Lord, who would like to confess out loud, may they find someone safe who can help them name the sins, the wrongs, the hurts, the regrets, so that there's healing and power in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that because we are followers of Jesus, you call us righteous. Therefore, we are alongside Elijah and we too can pray the prayer of the righteous, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you're a God who understands and loves and cares. Thank you that you are God with us by your spirit, with the gift of Jesus for our salvation. I bless you, Lord, as you have blessed us. And Lord, I I just pray for us as a community of believers, those uh, even that don't necessarily know you personally, or those that are friends of Door of Hope. Lord, I pray that this place would be a place where the word is alive. Not only the word that we have in the written scriptures, not only the words that we use with each other, but Jesus, you the word that is alive and active in all of us. Through your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would stir in us a desire to love mercy, to walk humbly, to act justly, Lord, as we 
go about our days, as we go about our weeks, as we grow to develop uh, and to be transformed by you, Lord, may we keep an eye on those around us. May we become less so that you can increase in each of our lives. Lord, this is not about me. This is not about my wisdom, as James says, to, to have. It's not about me increasing in knowledge of who you are. This is about you using me, you using us as a church to be able to rise up in a broken world to actually be present and available to those that need to know about you. Use us, Lord, that the good news would be so rich and tangible as people are engaged in the life of Door of Hope. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We worship you and we thank you for your word and what it means to follow you. Use us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for journeying with James with us. We've just touched the surface, really. You've got a lifetime to keep on reading and practicing. Bless you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you that I see Jesus in so many of you. It is a privilege to walk with you, to know you, and to know that together, in partnership with God, we can make a difference in this world. Amen? Amen. Thank you.